Amen. Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. We read there the Apostle, Pe- the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, as it is recorded for us in this book, to, saying, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. I was debating uh, throughout this week uh, with myself. Some people say that that might be not, not be very uh, healthy looking or mentally from a mental health perspective, but I do debate myself often um, about whether to address the, the current uh, circumstances in, in Ukraine from the pulpit. And for the most part, I, up until this lunchtime, I was probably not going to say anything, but had a nice in, in conversation with a couple of brothers uh, while uh, Sunday school was going on. And I thought, let me just mention some of these things, because I think it is not completely unrelated to our passage for this evening. It is indeed very much related to what we just read. A few weeks ago, I remember preaching uh, through uh, Zechariah, and where the, the prophet Zechariah says that the oracles of this world lie to us. And, and very much part of the, of the message that evening was about the lies that we are told in society nowadays. It was about the lies of, of mon- modern uh, self, about the, the, the feel-good mentality of our culture, where we are told that as long as you feel like it, it must be true. The lies of, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, or a woman trapped in a man's body, kind of those kind of things that we are now we now perceive to be something true like men can get pregnant for, for some reason in our society today and those are the lies we are told but the more i think about it that's only the tip of the iceberg that's the most recent manifestation of of something that is much more perverse something that is much more toxic sinful unrighteous that is under our culture and I was just, as I was thinking about even how we have reacted to this uh, aggression by, by, by Russia in Ukraine I, I thought there's something about the reaction that we have in the West that is so fitting to our current understanding or worldview 
There is a misimpression in our society that everyone thinks like us outside of the West. The misimpression that all other countries outside of the Western countries, and when I say Western countries, I'm talking about European countries and America, perhaps Australia. There is an impression that everyone outside of the West thinks and acts and is motivated by exactly the same things that we are. That's why we impose, or when I say we, it's the, the we West, uh, we impose uh, or levied economic sanctions on Russia, and, and it doesn't seem to work. We think, oh, if only we can harm them enough in their uh, comforts and, well, and living uh, standards, they're going to stop, they're going to back down. And then we're surprised that they don't. And we think, oh, Putin is a madman. He probably is, but he's not a madman because he, he is uh, putting his people in, in that kind of financial jeopardy. It's us that misunderstand the motivations of people and worldviews outside of the West. We think that if only we can hurt them enough in their comfort, they're going to back down. We're surprised why people are willing or to forego some kind of financial uh, uh, stability, comfort, living, how they gladly undergo or forego those things for the sake of something else that is higher than their own personal well-being. That's the point. We live in a hedonistic society. You know, you know what hedonism is. Hedonism is that love of self. We live in such a hedonistic society that we think everyone else behaves and acts in, the, in those same hedonistic uh, ways of thinking. And then we're surprised that some people are willing to forego their own well-being, their own security and comfort for something that is higher than them. In that sense, Putin is not a madman. He just has a completely different outlook and worldview from us. And I'm not going to say if I think that the Russian people uh, and the Russian nation is, thinks the same, because I'm not there. But I would submit that perhaps if we think, oh, all these financial uh, uh, sanctions will work because the people fundamentally will seek their own comfort, we perhaps are mistaken. We are projecting our own worldview into some countries that don't have the same worldview. I wonder if the people in Russia are truly against him or look to him as someone who's bringing something, a kind of a messiah of the Russian empire, someone who's going to save them from their ruin. So often we wonder why some people are motivated by those kind of things. Uh, I was reading a, a few... Uh, last week, uh, an essay, and I don't have it here in front of me, uh, by George Orwell, uh, talking about the, the, the Nazi uh, situation the, that led to the Second World War. And exactly the same, th that's, this was exactly what he was saying. It's the hedonistic understanding of Western culture, especially the progressive Westerners, that brought stuff like that to happen. And we were surprised. We were, we were surprised when people, and that's, this is Orwell's uh, 
paraphrasing him, he says, we were surprised when someone like Hitler was able to come offering to the people strife, bloodshed, and struggle, and the people embraced him, even if just for a time. Why did people embrace such a proposal? That's what Hitler proposed to, German, to the German people in his day. But yet people embraced. Because we fail to understand that, that not everyone outside of the West thinks like we in the West do. There are people who are willing to undergo financial strife, suffering, pain, and struggle for the sake of something greater than them. And in a sense, we as Christians, we understand something of it, don't we? We are willing. We should be willing. Again, as we spoke this morning, uh, if our Christianity is merely a, a kind of respectability that we tack on with some kind of church attendance, our Christianity is not really the Christianity of the Bible. We need to be willing to forego comforts but why do I say and that this is related to our passage today Vladimir Putin other world leaders whether they're still alive or uh, or they've been dead for a while now other world leaders who occupy this kind of position of leading, true leaders, not just politicians, but true leaders, they have a Messiah complex, and the people embrace that Messiah complex. So in a sense, what I'm trying to say as, uh, from the outgo, as I look at this passage and as I look at the current situation, let us not fall into that mistake. Even if we get taken, even if we get taken into war, Boris Johnson will not be the Messiah or whoever is in the position of power whenever that happens. Vladimir Putin is not the savior. Boris Johnson will not be the savior. Uh, Joe Biden, whoever, whoever you can think of in such a situation, they will not save because there is only one savior. Ultimately, there is only one way of salvation, and that's what Peter speaks about. That's what he tells us. He first tells us that Christ is the Savior. Look at, at the way that Peter says it. Nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the first and greatest affir affirmation of Christianity, of the gospel. The emphasis is that there is only one Savior, and that Savior is Christ. And it's Christ that saves. And we are blind to this. I'm emphasizing that it's Christ that saves, because some people think that it's the teaching of Christ that saves. Oh, if only we... Uh, imbibe and, and understand Christ's teaching enough, we will be saved. Christ's teaching does not save you. His teaching is unable to save you. If you only think of him as a great, a great teacher, you will not be saved. Christ 
Christ's example is unable to save you as well. If you look to Christ as a great example, uh, you will not be saved. You can follow all of Christ's ethical teachings. To the yod and to the tittle, you can follow everything he says. Christ's moral example will not save you. Many people think like that. It is Christ, the person, Christ, the Savior, that saves you. And I think that's the point that Peter is trying to make here. Suppose it's been a few months, or at least a year maybe, uh, since we last been in the book of Acts. Uh, but if you remember the situation, this is a situation where a lame man, a paraplegic man, was healed and this caused a lot of commotion. This caused a lot of, uh, of commotion within, especially the, the higher-ups of society, the Sinedrum, the, the scribes and the publicans, or the scribes and the Pharisees' uh, apologies. And, and they were trying to understand what was happening there. And Peter is saying, I did not do it. John did not do it. This man did not do it to himself. It was Christ who did it. That's the perfect illustration of the point that I'm trying to make. There is no way for you to prepare yourself to be saved. To follow a set number of steps before you are saved. You have to trust the Savior. You have to believe in Him. Because he is, it is Christ and Christ alone who saves Peter did not go to this lame man and say, well, now, my friend, uh, you have not been able to walk your entire life, but we can, I can fix you. We can put you right. Here's the course of treatment. You see you've made a mistake. You've stopped using your muscles. But uh, look, if you follow what I'm saying, if you start using your muscles in your leg, you're going to be able to start walking at some point. First the, the, the right leg and then the, 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 the left leg, and you'll finally find out that you are walking. Peter did not say that, did he? He came to the man and he st said, Stand and walk in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the lame man did he rose and walked. Was it because he had the power in him? Is it because he, he trained himself up and his muscles to start walking? No, it was because Jesus healed him. And in the same way, Jesus heals us of our worst disease, of our spiritual death. It was Christ, it was Jesus that saved him. That is the first principle of the gospel. That is Christ that is the Savior. That we cannot do it for our own selves. Jesus said, the Son of Man came, has come, or is come to seek and save that which was lost. Primarily, essentially, Christ is not only just a teacher. He is a teacher. He is the best of teachers. But it's not his teaching that fundamentally saves you. He was a great moral example. He was the holiest of men. But it's not following by imitating Christ that you are fundamentally saved. It is by Christ working in and through you that you are saved. It is a work of Christ. It is not a work of man. That's why 
Peter is able to say here, there is salvation, there is, nor there is, is there salvation in any other. That includes yourself. It's only by Christ. Are we clear about this? Is this something that you understand about becoming a Christian? That you cannot make yourself a Christian. You cannot pray yourself into being a Christian. You can never, ever do that. You cannot go into some kind of Christianity, uh, what is it, explore course. And after you run the whole course, by the end you have a diploma saying, now you're a Christian. You're not. You cannot make yourself uh, a Christian. Christ alone is the Savior. He is the healer. He is the deliverer. He is the redeemer. You cannot make a lame man start to walk by giving him instructions. You cannot save a lost man by walking him through steps. It is a miracle that is needed. Just like in this lame man's situation. It is a miracle that is needed. But praise God. Christ is a miracle worker. And he works the miracle of salvation in the lives of many. But it is him who works those miracles. Secondly, our Lord, Peter says, is the only Savior. And I want to emphasize the exclusivity here because again among the many lies that we are told in society is that we you can uh, arrive at God through many different ways God is too big to be grasped and too big uh, someone would say to be contained in the in a box to be limited by human intellect they're, they're right but they use that to then say, oh, but God, uh, therefore, cannot be just contained in one single religion. I, every religion leads to God. Every belief system leads to salvation in some way. Is that true? One of the particular illustrations that is given uh, every so often if you talk with unbelievers or people who, who think themselves to be very smart with these things, they will say, oh, it's kind of like the... the Illustration of an elephant, they'd say. Have you ever heard of this? I, I think I've perhaps mentioned it recently. I'm not sure. Might be. It's like an illustration of an elephant. Well, Christians are holding their, the, the leg of the elephant, and they say, oh, God is like this. But maybe some other religion is holding the trunk of the elephant, and they say, oh, God is like this. It's only when you take a step back and you look at the whole elephant that you really understand that they are whole, all holding an elephant. Something like this. I'm perhaps uh, synthesizing the, the illustration. And the point they're trying to make is, well, if uh, we can never, never be sure that our understanding of God is truly the, the, great, the, the, the understanding of who God truly is, maybe to the Christians God revealed himself in such a way, to the uh, Muslims God revealed himself in another way, we can never be sure. Well, the problem is, as uh, uh, an American pastor said uh, in one of his sermons talking specifically about this, is the problem or the, the difficulty is when this, the elephant speaks and says that he is an elephant. Do you get what, I'm, what I mean? God spoke and said that he was who he is through scripture. That's an exclusive claim. 
not to, notwithstanding the fact that everyone else seems to be uh, holding to some part of the elephant without understanding it, and but the person you're talking to, they claim that they know better, that they can take a step back, which is in itself a, a very weird claim. But, but God spoke. God told us in no uncertain terms that there is only one way of salvation. The Lord himself, he said, I am the light of the world. He did not say, I am one of the lights of the world. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said that I am the bread of life. All of those are significant, exclusive claims. The Apostle Paul puts it even stronger. He says, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. There is no other way. Peter knew about this. Peter says there is no other name. He was insisting that no other individual that ever lived or that wherever will live in the, in the history of this world will ever be able to save. No other individual in the history of the world will ever be able to make such a claim. Jesus Christ does not belong to a category of great thinkers, of spiritual gurus. He is in a category, if you want to have a category, because I would even suggest there is no category to contain him. But if you want to categorize, Jesus Christ is in a category of his own. He is not one of many. He is not simply the best of many. He is not simply the, the wisest of the wise. He doesn't belong in the same category as the, the teachers of this world. He's better than Plato. He's better than Socrates. He's better than Confucius or Buddha. He's better than Moses. He's better than any other man that lived or will ever live. Because he's in the category of his own. Not even better. He's different. The Apostle Paul, or the Apostle here, Peter, is not asserting that nobody else can ever save or deliver us. He's not only just asserting that no one else can save us, he is also saying that Christ needs no help. That Christ needs no help. That he is the only Savior. He doesn't come, he doesn't join himself to, to Mary. He doesn't join himself to other saints in the salvation of his soul. He treads that winepress alone, as I've been saying in the last few weeks. He treads it alone. But why is it that we find this so hard? Again, in the, in the midst of this culture that we are in, this is a very offensive statement to make. Perhaps not for, for most of you because you're Christians and because you've come to know this Savior uh, personally. You come to know that there is no salvation outside of Christ. But why is it that as a society, this is such an offensive claim? 
that perhaps this is why the people outside would call us mad for saying such a thing. I think it's because we we fundamentally, or they, and the world fundamentally, has a misunderstanding now about who God is. The world has a fundamental misunderstanding of how God acts and how holy God is. They think if they believe in a God, which is not granted nowadays in society, but even those who have some kind of spiritual awareness that they would say, oh, they do believe in a higher authority that judges everything and that eventually everything will turn out uh, to be just and good. They think, but that's only for those uh, others. I'm fundamentally good. Our misunderstanding is that we think of God like if he was, or they think of God, like if he was a, a modern parent. Modern parents, nowadays, they don't punish their children. They, they certainly don't uh, castigate them. And we think of God, and we started to think of God like that. God will never punish us. And when I say we, are talking about the prevailing modern uh, culture. That God will never punish me. He will just say, like modern parents, just don't do it again, okay? Just uh, don't do it again. No discipline, no, no chastisement, no justice, no righteousness. That's why people, they fail to understand their, their true needs. And, they fail to, and that's why they think, oh, there's, of course there's many ways to God. If they truly understood how badly they have sinned against the living, holy God, they would understand that he is the one that sets the terms. And they would be happy to embrace whatever terms were given to them. If they understood how they have sinned against the holy God how much sin provokes him to anger again this morning we were looking through the Old Testament and, or while well, we were looking at the end of the Old Testament we spoke about how through the Old Testament breaking the law of God would, would always come with punishment you if you break God's law if you don't keep his commandments punish, punishment is coming for you Death is coming for you. The Old Testament is nothing if not a, a record of, 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 in a sense, if not a record of God punishing the people for breaking his law. Over and over again. It begins in the Garden of Eden, all the way to the, to the book of Malachi. And it's only when you come to Christ that you realize, oh, that's the point. Christ sent a redeemer that would take the punishment in the place of his people. That's the whole point of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament Israel. All those animals being slaughtered day after day, particularly the, the, on the, in the day of the, aton the atonement once a year. The point being made is that God is furious at sin. That God cannot deny himself. As James says, there is, no sh there is no change in him or shadow of turning. 
He is a holy God. He will not accept sinners in his presence. That God will not simply forgive and forget. In fact, if he did something like that, he would not be God. If he changed or if he acted on a whim like that, he would not be a God worthy of worship. Because he would not be a God of justice and righteousness. If he is just, he needs to punish sin accordingly. fundamental problem is that we misunderstand who God is and therefore we misunderstand the condition of men and women outside of being saved by God We've, we don't understand uh, the, the situation that we find ourselves in outside of God modern man has no category for the condition that they are in because modern men and women from a very young age, even when they are children, they get taught that you are fundamentally a good person. You are fundamentally a good and decent human being. Don't ever let anyone say that you're a bad person. If someone says that to you, they're a mean individual. And we've, got, we've grown up with this sense that we are fundamentally good. In fact, we were talking about it, uh, <laughs> about the current situation as well. It is a lie. Man is not fundamentally good. We are not to be confident and so prideful and so assured. Because when you read the scriptures, you find out that man is not fundamentally good. And even, even if you want to go outside of Scripture, you shouldn't. Scripture is the point; is the the source of revealed truth. Just have a look around. Look at the world. Do you think men, capital M, humankind, is fundamentally good with what's happening nowadays in the world? We're evil. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As Paul says, we're all guilty before God. And if that does not make you shudder, it should. And it doesn't make you shudder because you don't have a category or you don't have an understanding of who God is. If God is just, he will punish the guilty. Truly punish the guilty. And our condition before God is of guilty sinners. And you know that. You know you are. You know you've lied. You know you've deceived. You know you've acted in, 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 in uh, spiteful ways. You know you've blasphemed against God in word and in deed. And your conscience tells you that. It's only because you suppress the truth in unrighteousness that you are able to even continue with that sense of guilt. But we're not, modern man is not only guilty, 
They're also fallen. Each unregenerate man or woman is polluted in, a, in their nature. That's why instruction cannot save you. That's why just following a, a, a set of rules and following the example cannot save you. Because if fundamentally in your nature you are fallen, polluted, there's nothing you can do to change that nature. There's no set of steps that you can take to change your nature from being bad to being good, from changing your nature from a fallen one to a, a, a non-fallen nature. And that's why you hate this message, even as you're hearing it. Ever wonder, if you're an unbeliever, ever wonder why you push so hard against the, 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 the message of the gospel? Why is it that you hate it so much? If you are a believer, do you remember when you were an unbeliever and you hated the message of the gospel? You couldn't hear it? I remember. I hated church. I hated the gospel. Because I knew, or because something in me just instinctively and naturally pushed against it. That's what happened in Jesus' day. Man, uh, the word came into the world. The light came into a dark, dark world. And what does John say to us? That this is the condemnation, that the light is, came into the world, but the world loved darkness rather than light. Because, of their, because their works were evil. That's why teaching, examples, cannot save you. What is needed is much more than just teaching, examples, or following a set pattern, a list of places. What is needed is what, is what Paul or Peter speaks of here in Acts 4. We need a Savior. We need true salvation. We need one who would take the judgment on our place. We need, as Job says in Job chapter 9, we need a mediator because we are estranged from God and we cannot change our nature just like a leopard cannot change his spots. We cannot change our nature. We need someone to stand before us in the presence of God. We need a savior. And here... The philosophers of this world will not be able to stand before you in the presence of, or in your place in the presence of God because themselves they are uh, fallen and they themselves need a mediator and they themselves are guilty. We need someone. We need someone who is able to stand in our place. We need a savior because we are all defeated. Mary will not be able because her, Mary needed a savior. Uh, uh, any, any 
politician cannot say it because they need a savior. Any philosopher, any moral teacher cannot save you. No saint, Saint Peter, Saint Paul, Saint this or the other, like the Roman Catholic Church believe, cannot save you. Because they themselves need a savior. Although they were great men, they cannot give you what you truly need. Even if you follow their example, their example is unable to save you. We need a savior that is outside of the categories of this world. And Peter says that there is such a savior. That there is a perfect man that needs no saving. That he is the one that can stand in the gap. And that man is God himself made flesh. Come to live in this life a perfect life of obedience. Hebrews 2.14. That's, that's the whole point of Christ coming as a baby into this world. Being born in a manger. Hebrews 2.14 says that then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same. In order that he might represent us. That's why Christ, Christ came in the flesh. The solution is that God himself has to represent us. But he cannot simply represent us as God. He, he, he takes on the, the human flesh. He lives the perfect life. A life of perfect obedience and righteousness. But more than that. He dies an atoning death. All that judgment. All that guilt. Is taken by Christ on the cross. He did not deserve to die. He was truly innocent. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who dies for us on that cross so that we wouldn't. He did not need a Savior. He, were, he is our Savior. The Word made flesh dwelt among us. Two natures, one person. The Son of Man, the Son of God. He is the one who perfectly satisfies our need. That's why I say it is not his teaching that saves you. Maybe when you heard this, you thought, what is the pastor saying? That's slightly heretical. It's not, it's not the teaching of Christ that saves you. It's a person. It's his person that saves you. You know why? Because it is his, atoning, uh, his obedient life and his atoning death on our in our place that takes away the reproach of sin. He is the Lamb of God who takes the, win the sin of the world. One who never sinned. One who is spotless. One who has never broken a commandment in his life. One that God the Father is pleased with truly and fully. And it is in him that the Lord laid the iniquity of us all. Prophet Isaiah said. No one could ever bear it for another. No one could ever withstand this punishment and yet live. But our Lord, he not only bore our sins. But he was raised up to life again on the third day. And he is our savior. And he does all, and he, and he 
supplies all the need of his people, our struggle with sin. He is the one who, who suffered and died for those sins, but he is also the one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. I hope you realize the great need of salvation. And I pray that you would believe in him, that you would listen to his voice, that you would listen to what the Apostle Peter says here. There is no salvation. That you would stop looking. don't remember who said it. But just to draw a, a kind of perfect circle. Or to go back to what I was saying in the beginning. Someone said that. Was it Nietzsche? I'm not sure. That when you take away God of the picture. You will always replace God with something else. It's not a question if you will have a God. People look to celebrities nowadays as if they are gods. Whatever they say must be true. And if we would always, if we'd all listen to, to, to Greater Thunberg or to, or to, or to Shakira or to, I don't know, Justin Bieber or to this or to that or to the other, the world would be a much better place. You see, you, you take God out of the picture, but you still have a, hole, uh, a God-sized hole in your heart that you're going to try and fill it with something. There is a sense that you know you need a Savior. You're just looking for the Savior in all of the wrong places. All the while it's, it's being shown to you today where the true Savior is. And this is what the world suffers with. People are looking for someone to give meaning, for someone to bring uh, peace, or for someone to bring glory. But they're looking in all the wrong places. But to you today is given the, the right place. It is preached to you the Savior who alone can save. Believe in him. Listen to him. Confess your sin to him. Trust in Him for your salvation. Come to Him like the, the, song, uh, the hymn that we will sing. Come with your, your hands perfectly empty to Him. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. And He will save you. Cast yourself only upon Him and His name. Because yes, He is the only one. He is the only Savior of the world. And He can be your Savior if you will trust Him. If you would turn to him. I'll say this to end. If you do not find salvation in Jesus Christ. I guarantee you. You will not find salvation anywhere else. It is Christ and Christ alone who saves. And what a dreadful thing. What a dreadful horrible thing. For you to be so close and yet so far away. May these words have power to draw you to Christ and be used by him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For there is no other name under heaven given among men for, for, whereby one must be saved. It is Christ and Christ alone who saves. And he is the rock of ages that will plead for you before the throne.